morning. Scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, and verse 25 through 33. This is God's word. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Forgot to tell Pastor Andrew, I think, I think you skipped five, six, and seven. <laughs> That's okay. <clears throat> you have your Bibles, right? Just open your Bibles and you can read them yourselves, uh, five, six, and seven. Um, so our reading today uh, was from a portion from the Sermon on the Mount, which is the sermon that Jesus gave early on in his ministry uh, to essentially announce the coming of God's kingdom, and also that, that he himself is the king of God's kingdom, and how all of God's kingdom citizens are called to live. All, all these instructions are in there. <clears throat> and <clears throat> it's one of the key passages that helped us formulate our third core value, which is that we want to be a kingdom-first community. Right, so the first core value was what? Christ-centered, second was confessional, and then today we're covering the third, kingdom first, okay? I think if I gave you some of the background story of how we decided on kingdom first, it'll make you appreciate this core value much more, okay? Uh, you see, the original draft that I came up with had countercultural as a core value instead of kingdom first. What happened was this. I presented it. <clears throat> I presented countercultural 
to our staff at one of our staff retreats a few years ago, you know, basically arguing <clears throat> that we are called, you know, to be a holy and set-apart community from this world, functioning as salt and light, you know, salt that preserves God's truth in a decaying world, light that exposes darkness and dispels falsehood, and, and how Jesus said if the world hates us, it's because the world hated him first. I mean, the logic was impeccable, right? <laughs> I thought it was going to be a slam dunk, no objections, but there was actually an objection raised among one of our staff members saying, I understand what you mean, Pastor Paul, but at the same time, I don't want us to give people the impression that we always need to be countercultural just for the sake of being countercultural. And I thought that was a legitimate concern. You know, I, I really thought it was a good objection. So we asked ourselves, is there a way to express ourselves in a more positive way? <clears throat> so like, instead of emphasizing what we don't want to be, can we emphasize in a positive way what we actually do want to be? So from there, we came up with the more positive, kingdom-minded, right? And then we let that sit for a while, for about a week or so, and and that got modified to kingdom first because after thinking about it, you know, kingdom-minded sounded a bit too vague and, and weak. Right? What do you think? You see, the Bible, <clears throat> it doesn't say you just need to be mindful of the kingdom of God as you live your lives. Right? It says rather with a strong imperative force, but seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. Jesus also teaches us that the first thing we ought to pray for after hallowing the name of God in the Lord's Prayer is, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. In other words, seeking the kingdom of God and wanting God's perfect rule to be established in this world is to be our highest priority because it's God's priority. It's God's highest priority. So if we want to align our priorities with his, we must emphasize kingdom first. Let me also uh, share an actual story that took place a few years ago uh, to further illustrate this point. Around 2013, when there was a growing need to establish a ministry for our married couples, we wanted to come up with a very good name for the ministry. It was, it was a, as a new ministry. You know, uh, there's something exciting about naming a new ministry, right? And the name that was recommended at the time was Family First Ministry. Some of you may remember. And I like the name. Many of us like the name because there was a good rationale behind it, namely that the first building block to a strong and healthy society or a strong and healthy culture, strong and healthy nation and civilization is none other than a strong and healthy family unit, right? The family is arguably the most foundational institution for anything in the world. Right? Think about that. Like if you had no marriages, no families, and you literally cannot build anything useful that will last. However, <clears throat> however, as much as I like the name and appreciate the rationale behind it, 
my concern was that we already live in a culture where families, and especially children, tend to be idolized and treated as far more important than God, at least in some segments of society, right? And that if, if we are truly going to be cornerstone, right, we had to <clears throat> make it clear that we were always going to treat God as first, right? We were always going to treat Jesus as first above anything else, even above our own families. So conclusion is this. We came up with a new name. <clears throat> so there was a pushback, you know. We like family first, but we had to push back. And the name that we came up with back then is still used today. And that name is what? Home Builders, right? Yes, I know. <laughs> the name can sound a bit bland. And it also was to me in the beginning. But <clears throat> the more I think about it, <clears throat> the more I like the name. <clears throat> I don't know what it is. It's either the coffee from earlier or it's, it's Satan. <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> Trying to muzzle me. The more I think about it, the more I actually like the name. <clears throat> right, so... Uh, if you don't like the name, I just encourage you to give it more time. It's going to grow on you, okay? Uh, by the way, Home Builders is a ministry for all families, right? whether you're married with kids, without kids, whether you're part of a single-parent home, okay? whether you're, you're a newlywed or an empty nester, Home Builders is for you. It applies to all of the above, okay? And it's Home Builders and not Family First, because we are striving to be a what? A kingdom-first community. A kingdom-first people. Okay? It is that our kingdom priorities is meant to shape the way we view our families and we build our homes. It can't be the other way around. It can't be that your, your family values or your family priorities shape the way you relate to God's kingdom. That's backwards. That's not going to work for Christians, Okay. It's got to be your kingdom values, your kingdom priorities defined by God's word. That's going to have to shape the way you relate to family, the way you view marriage and children, etc. That's how it's supposed to be. Now, with that said, in order to be a kingdom first people uh, who live with God's kingdom as our number one priority, we need to be clear about what God's kingdom is actually about. So with the brief time I have today, I wanted to take a moment to highlight for us three aspects of God's kingdom that ought to help us understand how we're to practically, practically live as kingdom citizens with a kingdom-first mentality. Now, each, each point that I'm going to address here can be made into its own sermon, but for our purpose today, I'll just give you a brief description of each of these aspects, okay? And, and uh, maybe if you're meeting with your CG this week, like some of you are, uh, you can kind of flesh each of these out in more detail, okay? Because the applications are vast. The number one, <clears throat> God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, okay? It's an upside-down kingdom. Secondly, God's kingdom is an inside-out kingdom. 
And thirdly, God's kingdom is an already not yet kingdom. Okay, these three things I'll address briefly. Number one, God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. See, in Jesus' time, the kingdom of God did not come, as you know, through military power and might, but through the humble suffering and death and resurrection of Christ. Right? In other words, Jesus did not establish his kingdom by conquering any physical human army, but rather by conquering sin and death and the spiritual forces of evil. Satan is a real enemy that was defeated. And in our day, the way God's kingdom comes to us is essentially the same. Right? God's plan is to establish his kingdom through his son, primarily through gospel witness and gospel sharing and humble gospel preaching and teaching right? in little humble rooms in Spain. And the forces that oppose God's kingdom are the same as well. They're spiritual in nature. So when you think about God's kingdom, brothers and sisters, you cannot equate it with images of an earthly kingdom that is ruled by worldly means of political power and military strength that leads to worldly success and dominance. And I'm not saying that there's no place for strong militaries or a strong and healthy political system or even earthly successes, right? There's a place for those. I'm not saying that all, the, all those things are evil and should be avoided, but you cannot be a godly Christian and ignore the fact that God's kingdom is something very different from all other earthly kingdoms. It has a different nature to it. Reflect upon these verses with me. Psalm 20, verse 7, and see if you can sense the difference. Some trust in chariots and others in horses. Right? What does that talk about? Military power and might, right? Political strength. But we, God's people, trust in the name of the Lord, our God. There's a difference there in mentality and mindset and posture toward the world. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and following, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Oh, that, that verse ministered to me in a special way uh, in Atlanta. A few of us were at the past, pastor's uh, EM forum, and I was just reminded again in a, in a fresh way how arrogant I can be sometimes. I have a tendency, like many of you, to look down on those who are despised in the world. You know, if you have a sort of a lesser degree, you know, you only went to that school, okay? Uh, you don't seem too smart, you know? Uh, why, why do you dress that way? Uh, you know, I, I tend to have this judgmental spirit, okay? 
I think uh, those in the so-called reform camp, okay, that means those who are, they tend to be well-educated, who love their theology and who love to articulate, you know, theology in a very smart way, academic way. We, we tend to have those traits. We tend to look down on people uh, who don't meet our standards of excellence, right? And, uh, you know, uh, I've said this before, but there's an artist in me too. I, I, like, I like beautiful things. I like beautiful music and beautiful art and nothing wrong with that, but there's a problem when you despise people that don't quite meet your standards, right? That, that is a very worldly perspective to have, right? And so I was reminded again that God's kingdom is a very different kind of kingdom, right? And, and the way God's kingdom expands and grows, right, it's counterintuitive. And so I was humbled. I had to repent. <laughs> I shed some tears and was like, okay, God, thank you for reminding me once again. And so think about this refrain as well that we often hear from the Gospels, right? The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Right? It's not just once, but it's a constant refrain we, we hear and read about from the Gospels. Right? That, that's the way of the kingdom. I remember once speaking to a friend who lived uh, in an area where they had a school that offered a Mandarin immersion program for young kids in grade school, and there were a lot of kids who wanted to sign up for this program, so they had to create a lottery system to choose who would actually get in. And, you know, my friend is Korean with uh, no real connection with the Chinese culture, other than the fact that he likes Chinese food. And so I was confused. I asked him, why in the world would you want your kid in a Mandarin immersion program when it's hard enough to teach our kids Korean? You know, they hate Korean. They, they don't like you to even attempt to speak Korean. Why, why would you want to do this? And I, I thought his answer would be something like, well, Paul, you know, if, if you know how to speak Chinese well, right, it's going to be much easier to get a good job later on and to make a lot of money and to be successful in this world. That's what I was sort of thinking in my head. Surely that's what he's going for. But I was humbled again. You know, his answer humbled me. He, he, it surprised me because he said, well, as you know, Paul, the Chinese population is very large and, and God is actually doing something incredible uh, in China right now, uh, in the Chinese church, the underground church. And once Laura grows up, I'm praying that God would give her a real heart for China so that she could reach as many Chinese people for the Lord. That's why, that's why I want her to be perfectly fluent in Mandarin. And I was like, okay, shame. <laughs> what a shameful way of thinking, you know, humbled again. That, that, that is an example of living with a kingdom-first mindset, right? What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is to have this worldly success-first mindset. Like, if, if I know Chinese, if I'm, like, multilingual, I can get ahead in life, get a great job, make a lot of money, have a lot of success, early retirement, I'm set. I'm set for life. That's, that's very common. That's very human of us, right? I'm sure you've experienced it yourself and got tempted in the same way. But see, if you forget 
that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom, you will easily prioritize worldly success and fortune over everything else. Very easy to do. This is an easy trap to fall into. Secondly, God's kingdom is an inside-out kingdom. See, as God calls us to repent of our sins and believe in the person and work of Jesus, his desire is to establish his rule in the hearts of his people. This is part of what Jesus means when he said, the kingdom of God is within you. And I'm not going against whatever Pastor Hughes said a few weeks ago. He, he made the, the, you know, um, the case that the kingdom of God is also it's, it's also, it, it involves the renewal of all of creation. So in that sense, yes, it's outside of us. But Jesus emphasizes here that the kingdom of God is within you. I think that's important emphasis to have because think about it, brothers and sisters. If, if you don't have the kingdom of God within you, how are you supposed to enjoy the kingdom of God that's, that extends beyond you? Right? I'm not rejecting the idea of that, that the gospel is meant to renew all of creation Everything, all of the world is going to be renewed for sure. Right? But see, the gospel is not good news unless you can take part in that renewal of creation. Right? You cannot be part of that larger kingdom unless you yourself possess the kingdom within. Right? To be a, a Christian essentially is to ask God to set up his throne as the supreme king of your heart. For the kingdom of God to grow and to be like the largest tree in the garden, to use one of Jesus' parables, it first has to take root in your heart, in you. One writer put it this way, his kingdom must come in our hearts before it can come to rule in the world at large. Heaven must be in us before we can be in heaven. Right? God's kingdom must be in us before we can be in God's kingdom. It must begin in our hearts, right? There's this transformative work that God does within us that leads to righteous living outwardly, right? Righteousness has to be given to us before we can live righteously, right? See, every other traditional or secular religion teaches the exact opposite of what I just said, see? If I live a good life, by doing good deeds and prove to the world or prove to God that I'm a good person who loves justice, then surely God would count me righteous and accept me and love me. If I do all these good things, then surely God would count me righteous. That is an outside-in religion. It's the exact opposite. We don't believe in an outside-in religion. Right? The way of the gospel and the kingdom of God is inside out. You cannot perform your way to heaven. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God must change us from within first by his grace for us to even attempt to live righteously outward and be part of his Righteous kingdom. Thirdly, God's kingdom is an already not yet kingdom. When we ask for God's kingdom to come, 
We're asking that it would come according to his timing. This frustrates many of us. You know, the, the petition of thy kingdom come is, is meant to be a reminder to us that God's kingdom is not fully here yet. In one sense, it actually is here because Jesus has come and he reigns, but his kingdom is not yet here in all of its splendor and glory. This is a frustrating reality for Christians. We, we, we live in this in-between period. Right? Theologians have called this, this time we're living in, this in-between period, as the already not yet period. So Jesus has already won the war right, by dying and, and being raised from the dead, but his kingdom has not yet been fully established I like to use the example of David and Goliath, right, to drive home the point. It's like, think about David striking down mighty Goliath. What was that? That was a victory, right? The Israelites defeat, they defeat the Philistines. It's victory for them. But what happens after, after Goliath is struck down? After his head is lopped, what happens? The rest of the Philistines, they have to scatter, you know, because they're, they're fearful of their own lives. But the story goes, the Israelites still had to, fight these smaller battles and skirmishes and deal with the remaining, remaining Philistines. It's the same with us, brothers and sisters. The, the great war against sin and death has been won, but I'm sorry to say there are still battles and skirmishes that need to be fought in this life until Jesus comes again to fully establish his kingdom. I briefly explained three aspects of God's kingdom, but let me elaborate just a little bit more. Why it's so important for us to know these things? What's the practical value in it? Right? You can think of it this way. Firstly, if you know that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, you'll become a more kind, a more humble, and a more, I like the word, unpretentious person. You become an unpretentious person because so you're not going to live your life simply trying to accumulate worldly power, influence, or wealth. Okay? You're not going to just be so fixated on where your kid goes to college. You know, you're going to make sure she goes to a, a prestigious school. You're not going to be like that. Since that's not primarily how God's kingdom comes, not what he values primarily. Okay? And if you have this upside-down mentality... You won't become so easily tempted by the world as well because the upside-down quality of God's kingdom will keep you from becoming so arrogant. You'll be regularly reminded that the kingdom of God comes in the form of a small, unassuming seed, very easy to ignore, or in the form of yeast that's invisible to the eye. It's not showy. It's like, I don't see God's kingdom anywhere. Where is it? But it's there. God says, and it's establishing itself, and after a few years, it's going to be this transformative force that changes the world. See, God will one day come, and he will fully reign. Secondly, if you understand that God's kingdom is an inside-out kingdom, you'll become more aware of your self-righteous tendencies and become a more God-dependent and spirit-filled person, and you'll actually want to pray more, 
Right? Because instead of thinking that you could go out into the world as a young college graduate and, and change the world as someone with this woke sense of justice, which is incoherent at best and completely anti-justice at worst, you'll become more self-aware than that. And you'll know that there is a more urgent battle waging within your soul every day between God's kingdom rule and your own fleshly desires. And it'll humble you. And if you know that, you'll be primarily committed to winning that battle every day as you rely upon the grace of God. And I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pursue good works that you should, should you know, neglect pursuing justice in this world. But see, so many of us have forgotten that there's no way for us to know what is good if we're not getting our marching orders from God himself and unless our hearts are tuned with God's values and priorities. So we quickly lose our way because we're, instead of understanding what, what God deems as just and righteous, we're looking to stuff like TikTok and whatever we can find that's the next social media outrage. Notice that virtually all of Jesus' teaching that you find in the Sermon on the Mount involves what takes place in our hearts. Right, listen again to what Jesus says. When you practice your righteousness before other people, right, don't do it to be seen by them. He knows us so well. Right? He knows the things that we're tempted by. Right? He says, don't pray, don't give, don't fast. Practically, don't do anything in order to be seen by others, but do it to be seen by your heavenly Father that he may reward you. This is like, it seems so impossible in our day because everything about our world right now, it's, it's about exposure, right? It's about to be seen by other, other people. To be seen to get the most clicks, to make the most profit. To be seen by others is the driving ethic of our day. It's completely opposite. So it's, it's, it's difficult. This is like, it feels impossible. So I, I thought of a more modern-day translation for, for this passage. It's like, after you serve and give to the needy, okay, and please do serve and give to the needy, let's be continually committed to this kind of work. Don't be so quick, however, to post it on Instagram or Facebook because that is like us photobombing Jesus. Right? That's like stealing glory away from him. Jesus is saying, t telling us basically, don't draw attention so much to yourself. Why? Because God's kingdom is an inside-out kingdom. Right? If you commit to self-idolatry from within, guess what? You will inevitably construct a life built on yourself outwardly. Whatever is inside of you will eventually come out. But if you submit your heart to God inwardly, if your heart becomes transformed by the grace of God, if you bow down inwardly to God, see, your outward life will also be an expression of worship unto your king. That's how our hearts work, brothers and sisters. 
Lastly, if you understand God's kingdom to be an already not yet kingdom, you will become a more patient and wise person overall because instead of expecting God's kingdom to be triumphant and rule over all peoples and all nations prematurely based on your timing, or instead of expecting God to rescue you from your own personal battle against lust when you're only in your 20s, or instead of expecting God to heal your wounded heart right now, immediately, or instead of expecting God to, to renew your marriage the way you want it to be renewed right now, you will patiently wait upon the Lord and for his timing. Because the kingdom, of his, the kingdom of God is here, see, but it's not yet fully realized. It'll make you wise if you understand that the kingdom of God is, is a dynamic kingdom. It's moving forward, but it will be completed in his timing according to his plans. So all these qualities make the kingdom of God very different from the world in which we live, which means that we are going to clash against the world more often than not. And we will have to become a countercultural people more often than not. And that can surely become exhausting. I, under, I know, I, I, I hear many of you express your exhaustion, just living, grinding it out week by week in this world that is so hostile against our Christian beliefs. I'm exhausted myself. That's why I make it a practice to watch less news <laughs> so I get angry. I get angry if I watch too much of what's going on in the world. So I have to turn my attention to, to God's word, to go back to that roadmap as Pastor Andrew preached on last Sunday. Got, got to go back to that roadmap and see what direction this is all going, you know, and got to get refreshed again. It's like, oh, I see. That anger turns into to hope again and comfort and just a renewal in God's promises. That's got to be done. And I, I think Jesus knows this, so well, I know he does. So after telling us how we're to be different from the world, he says, don't be anxious, you see. Because he knows that life is going to be hard for those who are kingdom first in their heart orientations. Right? He knows that we will be mocked and, and ridiculed and that our livelihoods will be threatened. And so Jesus says in this passage, do not be anxious. You know, Jesus' uh, Jesus's promise to us is, is not that we won't experience any hardships, but rather, in spite of what we do experience, he will provide for us, right? If not with earthly clothing, with heavenly clothing that is far more permanent and enduring. That, that's how I interpret this passage. Right? I really don't believe we should take this passage as saying that Jesus will provide for all of our physical needs, all of our earthly needs in this lifetime. But rather, he, he, he's ultimately pointing to the heavenly clothing that he will provide for us with. Um, so Jesus says, don't worry. Our suffering and death will come to everyone. See, but even in death, I promise to take care of you. 
That is having faith. That is living by faith. So, brothers and sisters, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Not money, not fame, not prestige, not comfort or pleasure. And Jesus says, all of these things will be added to you, if not now in this life, in your eternal heavenly home. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Father, may your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth, here and now, as it is, as it is in heaven. Through the person and work of Christ, as the gospel is proclaimed and shared, and as hearts are changed and lives transformed, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Be gracious to us that the kingdom of God would take root in each of us so that we would not be counted as those who stand defiantly opposed to your kingdom or to your glory. Grant us the peace of knowing that though we were once your enemies, we are now your friends and children who are dearly loved by you. If any of us have fallen in love with the world and have turned away from you, please chastise us. May your hand of discipline awaken us from our wandering ways so that we may turn back to you and treasure you once again as our first love.